Welcome to Ideas into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality. No matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe. If this isn't your first episode, by now you would know that Ideas into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking. And we love to work with startups and entrepreneurs and share their stories via this podcast. What you may not know, though, is that we also have members of our community that are not on a journey to take their idea into reality. Our co-workers who are working remotely for a company or organisation that doesn't have an office here in town. Many people have recently had the opportunity to try out working from home due to the coronavirus pandemic. And not everyone has found it as wonderful as they thought it might have been. As we provide the physical space for people to work, we consider it an office away from home. Having a reason to get up, shower, put pants on and interact with other adults is actually a good thing for most of us. In addition to the desks, chairs, fast Wi-Fi and coffee, our co-workers get access to each other, something they cannot get working from home alone. Also, there are way fewer distractions here, though if by mid-morning you really would prefer to unpack a dishwasher instead of responding to an email, then by all means, go ahead. If you know someone who could benefit from having a place to go to get their work done, be sure to let them know that there's a co-working space available in downtown Toowoomba and they are most welcome to come and join us, as are you. Today's guests are on a mission to save the planet, one microalgae at a time, and they're starting with the superfood spirulina. How? Well, they've devised a way to make spirulina taste good. Yep, that's right, tasty spirulina that happens to also have even better nutritional values than the yucky stuff that you're used to. Anna Hendra is the founder of Ocean Orchards and along with her partner Adrian, a part of the Flair Incubator family. I'm delighted to have them with me today to share the story of their journey so far in bringing their idea into reality. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, guys. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So, Anna, we might start with you. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Ocean Orchards? Yep, sure. So, my name is Anna and I'm actually not Australian, as you can probably tell by my accent. Uh, I'm from Sweden. I moved here for university and then I never left. So, uh, I'm really passionate about sustainability and the environment and that's part of why I founded my company. And on my free time, I like to go hiking or go to the beach from the Sunshine Coast. So nature is beautiful here. 
And I also have two cats who are my babies that I love to spend a lot of time with. So Ocean Orchards, uh, we founded it officially in the beginning of 2019. And it's a food startup, well, sort of a food tech. So we focus on making algae-based food products and making them actually taste good. I can't see your pussycats today, but I have seen them in the past. <laughs> like ours, they often just want to walk in front of the camera and yep. come for a cuddle no matter what you're doing. So they're, they're really lovely. And yes, I think the Sunshine Coast is a beautiful place to live. You're very lucky to have the beach and nature right behind you. Or, well, nature both sides, but forest behind you, beach on the other side. So very nice. Good choice in the world. And Adrian, how about yourself? Hey, I'm Adrian. Uh, I'm an Aussie lad. <clears throat> I'm a computer science dropout. So I was studying computer science at Griffith Uni in Brisbane. I love the forest there. During my course, I watched a documentary by Tim Flannery. He's a bit of a, I guess, a celebrity scientist here in Australia. And he did a doco on how seaweed can save the world. And I'm a little bit of an environmentalist, but more so in the vein that I want to produce products that deal with the environmental problem rather than um, shut things down. So I became obsessed and right the way through my degree, I was spending a lot of my free time learning about cultivating seaweed. Um, after a while I met Anna, she convinced me that microalgae was better than seaweed. They're very similar. So um, I dropped out just before I finished to start a company with her. And that's how we got into Ocean Orchards. Well, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world are university dropouts. So you and I are in the same boat. And I think, uh, was it Steve Jobs and a few others that, yeah, the same. So we're, uh, we're in good company, I think. And obviously you found Anna and you listened to her, which is a, a smart thing. She's a smart lady. So I think uh, good choice there as well. <laughs> All right. So Anna, you're here from Sweden. I haven't been to Sweden yet. That is one of the places on my list. But I'm curious to know what led you to the point or what was going on in, in your life when you got to the point of saying, I'm going to move to Australia and and do something here. Like, why did you come? So uh, when I was 13, we, me and my dad went to Australia for the first time. Actually, first place we went was Noosa. And I love it. I hate the cold. So Sweden isn't great for me. And I love animals and I love nature. And Australia has plenty of that. So um, I had already done an exchange year in the US when I was 16. So when it was time to start university, I knew I wanted to go someplace new. I wanted to go someplace where they spoke English and where it was warm. So Australia just perfectly fit the bill. Very nice. Fortunate for you to travel abroad as a teenager and also to do an exchange year. I think that's one of the things I would have loved to have done in my high school time. But yeah, lovely opportunity for you to uh, to do both of those things and obviously make the choice. So, so when you got here, you're uh, you're studying and and learning. I'm curious how you met Adrian. So me and Adrian actually met on Tinder, like most people nowadays. And um, I was working at an algae farm at the time. So we just had a very long conversation about algae. Um, it took him like a month to actually ask me out. <laughs> and then we met and we went from there. And, you know, because we were both really passionate about the environment, sustainability, just 
our values are so similar and we both wanted to do something new and innovative just really fit very nice and adrian why did it take a whole month (laughs) (laughs) well the conversation was so fascinating also i happened to be um, looking after my parents animals for them while they were in new zealand and um, my mum's cat was very sick Um, she got me to take him to the vet just a day after they left and it turned out he'd actually developed a tongue cancer Um, so i was cat sitting him in like a i guess a pretty special way um until she got back so i just really didn't have the time actually um luckily um once mum did get back uh and i did have the time i chased anna up for that day i'd been meaning to um and tinder actually has a lot of problems it can bug out quite a bit during our conversations, um, Anna's message to me bugged out and never got delivered. And so the conversation kind of died off for in the final week. But um, after I was back in Brisbane, everything was sorted out. I sent her a text message. I was like, what happened? Why'd you lose interest? And she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You stopped talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was, there was a, a lot going on in that month. <laughs> it wasn't... <laughs> Well, I'm very glad to hear that at least you followed through in the end and managed to connect and not were like, oh, he didn't call or she didn't like reply or, or any of that and just let it slide. So well done on the follow through. So good job. <laughs> now, obviously, you're, you are both very passionate about sustainability and about the environment and, and obviously some technology fits in there as well. So Anna, for yourself, if you're studying and and looking at different things, what were you studying and what was sort of going on at that point for you? Yeah, so I was studying uh, chemical engineering at the University of Queensland, the St. Lucia campus. I was um, doing an integrated master, so it was five years in total, quite a long degree. Um, During that time, I realized that almost all of it was tailored towards oil and gas or mining which that's where most of the jobs are, but I knew I didn't want to do any of it. Um, I tried to pick as many biotech courses as I could and sort of get into that side of it. A lot of it is a lot more sustainable, but I realized as I was going to graduate that there wouldn't be any jobs I wanted for me, that I would have to go into those traditional industries, and I really, really didn't want to. And as I had said kind of mentioned previously, I did an internship at the UQ Algae Farm and I learned all about algae and I just loved it and so fascinated by what algae can do for the world. And so I, if, like, I never set out really to start a company that wasn't my goal to be an entrepreneur or like to have my own business, but I knew I wanted to work with this and there wasn't a job for me. So that's why the company was founded. It was founded officially uh, right as, after I graduated from university. And I, I'm aware, I guess, that you've had some involvement with um, some of the things with UQ Ventures as well. Was that while you are at university or has that been post? Uh, that was all post. So it actually worked out really well. I graduated in December and we started iLab in January. Right. Okay. So very, very quickly yeah. afterward. Yeah. Excellent. I wasn't ready to leave UQ yet. Yeah, so it <laughs> it's a lovely place. So <laughs> definitely, I, I'm going to ask another question. There, you you mentioned that you really really like algae. 
and obviously it has good environmental properties. But is there anything else that you go, this is why I really like algae? Oh, there, there's so many things. No matter what you're looking at, what industry, what problem you try to solve, someone is working on it with algae. It's just so fascinating. Obviously, we're looking at food. It's a big thing for sustainability and for human health in general. So it's something I'm very passionate about. But it's massive in biofuel. It's big in biopharma. Like even Exxon is investing in algae right now. And you know, they're not doing anything out of the goodness of their hearts. They actually believe it's going to work. And it's just so inspiring because algae is such a wide, like the definition of algae is a, an organism that can use photosynthesis that isn't a traditional plant. So because of the, they're defined by what they are not as opposed to what they are. So the group is so big and there's so many different species in there. A lot of them have not have yet to be discovered. So it, it's such a cool group with all kinds of crazy things they can do. Wow. And is, I'm going to be really naive here, but is seaweed an algae? Yes. It is. Okay. It's called uh, <laughs> macroalgae, so it's a multilar cellular algae. Right. Okay. So, Adrian, you were into seaweed, not so much yes. the other type of algae. So what were you doing and <laughs> what were you doing with seaweed and what were you doing in your life? Yes. So um, I became obsessed during my computer science course. Um, I was snorkeling up and down the Sunshine Coast coastline looking for a particular red seaweed, Asparagopsis taxiformis. Um, I'd learned about it before I watched the documentary about how seaweed can save the world. It's, uh, when it's fed to cattle, it reduces their methane emissions by 99%, which I just thought was amazing. Um, as I watched that doco later on and learned more and more about it, I begin to I began to find out about how um, algae, micro and micro, were the actual original terraformers of our um, <clears throat> atmosphere. They uh, are very very good at converting carbon into uh, oxygen. So without them, I guess a lot of us well, we wouldn't be here really. Um, there was actually a point where they almost wiped us out. Uh, they were so good at converting to oxygen that they turned the atmosphere into 99.5% oxygen, which is pretty toxic, actually. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's just something that I've wanted to be involved in ever since I've learned about it. Um, I, I want to cultivate it. I, I was drawing up plans to set up seaweed farms off the coast here. Um, there's a massive opportunity for Australia. We have one of the largest biodiversities of seaweed in the world um, because we have so many different regions and we have this low-lying, shallow um, bed just off the coast that is perfect for seaweed cultivation. The entire eastern seaboard acts as like a, a nutrient dump on that um, perfect ground cultivating seaweed it's why the reefs there there's a there's a lot of nutrient that runs off the country into that into those waters and it just stimulates a lot of uh, growth there um <clears throat> it, i've just found it really fascinating and i just wanted to get involved somehow <laughs> and did you find your red seaweed Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I did find some um, eventually in the in the rock pools of all places. It was I wasn't 
where I was snorkeling, looking around, there, um, <clears throat> there's a little bit growing out there. Um, they, they are running quite a few trials currently where they're harvesting the wild stuff and feeding it to cattle. And there's a few projects actually looking at cultivating it on an industrial scale. There's one up here on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I believe the CSIRO and an American um, conglomerate have just announced a trial that they're doing down near Newcastle. And I believe the Tasmanian government has one going down in Tassie as well. Although I don't think the red seaweed does quite does too well in the colder climate. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I've heard a few different things, but um, you said there's a few people running trials. Is it in that particular type of seaweed or just in seaweed farming in general off the coast? Are there any commercial operations that you're aware of? Yeah, that's that's those three I just mentioned are just in that particular type of seaweed. Um, there's a ton more seaweed projects going on. Um, some interesting ones, there would be, um, if, if you get a chance, go back and watch Tim Flannery's can, How Can Seaweed Save the World? There's a lot of it included in that. Um, Gear Pages uh, operation, which is pretty amazing. So she spent a lot of time researching a lot of the undocumented seaweeds in our coastline. Most of them just haven't been looked at. No one's done the research on them. So she started looking at them because she learned about how seaweeds have very similar connectivity tissue to humans. So she had an idea that if she looked hard enough, she might find one that was a perfect match, and she actually did. So she found a seaweed. Um, she now cultivates it on land. And because it's that perfect 100% match for our connectivity tissue, she actually processes that connectivity tissue out of the seaweed that she's cultivating. And I think they use that in fake skin. I think she gets something like $8,000 a kilo for it from what she's um, processing out, uh, which is pretty amazing stuff. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in seaweed. And Australia has the best conditions in the world. And it will be such a shame if we don't take full advantage of it. All right. Well, I look forward to learning a little bit more about that when I go finding some links to put in the show notes and watching that one. I recently watched the David Attenborough film version of his book and uh, I recall that there was some stuff in there about seaweed and, and the farming of seaweed as well. So definitely on the radar of the, uh, I guess, the trending side of climate change and, and awareness around sustainability. So that's that's good. But you guys are producing algae, not seaweed, so little tiny one. Do you want to maybe just tell us a little bit about how you got started when you hit January, you graduated from university, you decided that you're going to save the planet by growing algae. What did you do? How did you get started? Yeah, so we actually started, so I graduated at the end of 2018. In the middle of 2018, I kind of, that's when I realized I there wasn't going to be a job I wanted at the end. So already then we talked to my former supervisor and he's also part of our company. And we talked to Adrian's parents who were kind enough to let us use their land on the Sunshine Coast. And we started building a pond already. It wasn't up until almost a year later. It took a lot longer and a lot more resources than we expected. Um, but we had started that. So we were sort of, because when we first started out, we had no business experience. We weren't part of the startup community. We didn't really know what startups were. Uh, we just knew we wanted to grow algae 
and we sort of knew how to do that kind of we've had to learn a lot along the way but we had a pretty good idea anyway so we started building this pond and then um, we got recommended iLab so I think in December or November we applied uh, we had a pitch event and we got accepted in December so come January we started with um, with iLab and that was you know pretty much all startup business focused none of the tech stuff we had done before so there was a lot to learn it was pretty overwhelming in the beginning um, that was a six month program at the time it's only three months now but we went through it was six months and that was thank goodness we did that <laughs> because we would not have known how to do any of this business stuff without it so during those six months, the pond actually kind of ended up on the back burner and the sort of algae farm that we wanted to build. And we focused more about learning about the business itself and how, you know, how to run that, how to do all these kinds of things like value proposition and customer profiles and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's not my favorite. I'm still more a tech person. I like the tech, but as a founder, you have to know everything. So it was really good to learn and very useful. We got some really good contacts throughout that program. We also got invited to do a little pitch at the Sweden Food Tech during that time too, which was a lot of fun, which of course now with Corona, it's not really something we could, could do. Yeah, so I think, think that answer your question. It's yep. a bit of a long-winded answer. No, that's, that's a great answer. Who introduced you? Do you recall who suggested to you to apply for iLab? Yes, it was actually a team member that is not on our team anymore, okay. um, which can be a story about lessons learned. Uh, but yeah, so that's how we first got in. So yep. Fantastic. we found out about it. Yeah, just to add on to that, we were planning on being a couple of hippies selling spirulina at the Sunshine Coast Market. <laughs> Um, before we came into contact with iLab, we had no real long-term big vision with it. We just knew we wanted to grow it and we we're going to do it any way we could. And a lot of great businesses start that way and then evolve from there as well, but it might just take a little longer if you don't have that guidance and support to actually work out how to make this thing that you're really passionate about financially viable as well yeah. and confirming the viability of it in, in terms of it what you can do, what you can produce and how much you can produce. Um, and who's going to buy it is always a good thing too. So customer profiles can be a, a yeah. good thing. <laughs> so so you have got a pond. You are producing algae. You're producing, well, spirulina. So I might actually just get you to just tell everybody um, what is spirulina in terms of that algae family and, and what does it do? Yep. So spirulina is a single cell type of algae. Um, it's a microalgae. It's really commonly eaten all across the world. Um, you can find it in most supermarkets and health food stores. Um, it's been eaten for centuries. So I think the earliest records of people eating spirulina was the Aztec empire. And um, yeah, Adrian tells a really good story about the marathon runners there. That's sort of his, his thing. And I know Adrian, if you want to, Oh, you can have a go. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the Aztecs had a big uh, runner's network and they would run, I think, 
several marathons a week. And so they would get these little dried spirulina cakes to take with them on their runs to sustain them. And we might touch on that later, but as we know now, there's actually a blue pigment in that spirulina that would potentially really help them in their recovery and their performance in general. But yeah, so that was, the Aztecs ate it, a couple of um, civilizations in Africa ate it, but that sort of never broke into mainstream until uh, later on when NASA started researching spirulina as a space food, because it is, uh, it doesn't require a lot to grow in terms of, you know, soil and that's sort of gravity, which regular plants do. And of course you can use the CO2 from the astronauts to, to grow it on. So NASA started researching it and that's how it became a big thing because they have a bunch of papers released on um, all the amazing nutritional qualities of spirulina. So spirulina is up to 75% protein. It's really high in a lot of minerals, especially iron. And it has a lot of vitamins and a lot of antioxidants. And that's where that blue pigment comes in. So as I said before, it is currently being sold, but it's being sold as a spray dried powder. Um, that powder tastes terrible. And the high heat from the spray drying actually destroys a lot of the nutrition. So we sort of decided that we wanted to come up with a way to make people eat spirulina on a much bigger scale because it is such an amazing food source, but it's so underutilized. So that probably leads me to uh, another question that I have is, you so you sell it differently, you're producing it in a different way. So you, you built the pond and, and as you said, that took a while longer than expected. Um, and, and you could have just gone to the markets as hippies and sold it like everybody else, just this sort of dried stuff. But but you're not doing that. You're doing something different. So maybe just share what you can about what you're doing and what the journey's been like to learn how to create spirulina as a marketable product that's not a you know, spray-dried, heat-treated version. Uh, <laughs> so actually we had an idea. So we have kind of pivoted our product a couple of times because, as I said, our goal was to make people eat spirulina and to process it in a way where you – kept the nutrition as amazing as it is naturally while also making it taste good. So because we started with that rather than a finalized product, we did have a, a couple of different pivots, but we had um, initially we were doing, so, so our sort of our technology is that we wrap the spirulina in a protective gel and that way it both uh, protects nutrients, but it also makes it actually taste good. So initially we had a, we used to do much larger gel pearls, we called them. They looked sort of like caviar um, and they worked great. We got great feedback, but we realized we couldn't produce them on a large scale. Um, or potentially we could, but there would be too much development and money. And, you know, all of those things you think when you start out are going to be easy or not. They take a lot of resources and a lot of time. So we have tweaked it to what we do now, which is the same gel encapsulation, but on a microscopic scale. Uh, scale. So you can't actually see it, but you can taste it. So because of that, we can actually still sell it as a powder, like what people are used to 
eating, uh, but we also have the option of potentially selling it as a wet product, like a gel too. Um, but right now we have gotten better feedback on the powder. So that is the way we're going. So it's very similar to how people are used to eating spirulina. It just doesn't taste terrible and um, it has better nutrition. On top of that, a lot of the spirulina on the market today is produced in China or India. And now algae has this amazing quality where they absorb what's in the water they grow in. Um, now that can be really cool. Like in Japan, they used seaweed to clean up some of the radioactive material because they absorbed it after their tsunami. Um, but if you're gonna eat it, that means you want it to be grown in really clean water. And there have been some studies finding that the spirulina from China and India have, are contaminated with heavy metals. And that is sort of giving spirulina a bad name in general when it's not the issue with spirulina, it's how it's grown. So that's another thing with growing it. In Australia, we use rainwater. It's very clean, like everything. We're very transparent about how we grow it. And so we also make sure that the raw materials themselves are highest quality they can be. Wow. So Adrian, I know a lot of the work that you're doing is around the growing of the spirulina and the the ponds and the setups and things like that. So in the process of building them and, and getting the spirulina growing, what's that journey been like for you, particularly if you were focused on something that was more in the ocean before <laughs> and now it's not in the ocean, it's in a pond. What's that been like? What have you done? What have you learnt? Uh, I've learnt a lot, actually. Um, it's not one of those things where you can just pop on to Wikipedia and there's a how-to guide on how to do it. Um, we had uh, a lot of support from the algae, the guys at the algae farm at UQ, um, and they gave us a lot of information and what they know about algae farming. Um, they grow a different form of um, microalgae, unfortunately, though. So because we wanted to do spirulina rather than the nanochloropsis that they grow down there, we had to work out how to do that ourselves. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we, we've learned a lot, and it, it's not just uh, about like building the right device for the job. There's a ton of biology and chemistry going on and everything we do. It's not just me doing that. Like I'm in charge of it a lot, but um, it's a, there's a big group effort going on there. Um, you know, Anna's very good at chemistry, obviously. Um, and so is that. Um, <clears throat> I'm a bit better at, I guess, the biological side of things and watching the different changes that come about as we um, mess around with the chemistry but yeah we're, we're, we're uh, rebuilding it from the ground up I suppose because where we, we were fed information about how we should do it and we've been watching what's happening and we haven't exactly agreed with the conventional wisdom that we've been fed and um, yeah we're adapting to what we see and uh, that's that's all really fascinating. I'm not allowed to talk about too much of that at the moment. <laughs> we're, we're still in a, a, I guess, a lot of discovery phase there. Um, we're also rebuilding the equipment as well. So just for example, um, that you can buy a automated spirulina harvesting device from Holland. 
it's about seventy thousand dollars Australian, and it'll handle seven hundred and fifty liters um, an hour. And you know, it it automates the the process, but it's quite expensive. It, there's, there's a lot of capital investment required in setting up these big spirulina farms, um, where we've built a little harvesting device for about $1,000 Australian, and we can pump 600 litres an hour through it at the moment. We, we want to make spirulina farming more accessible in our journey too. Like we, we want to, I guess, develop the infrastructure that other farmers will need so that they can also farm spirulina. We, we want to spread it right around Australia. I think that's a, a really good testament to the fact that you're actually doing this because you're passionate about sustainability and the environment as well as growing a successful business and that willingness to share what you've learned in a way that will help you achieve your outcomes but also help more people create something that's good for them, that's good for the planet is a really good thing to know. So I recall a few weeks ago now, I think we might have been having quite a warm patch and you were like, it's growing out of control. Like <laughs> there's so much. Um, is is that something that you kind of expected was going to happen or is that like, oh, wow, we're doing something so right that this is like rocking it um, incredibly? Uh, yeah, we totally did not expect that to happen. We're, like I said, we're still in the ideation phase and we're still watching what happens and recording results. And we haven't had someone there that's told us what's going to happen when we do something. Um, <clears throat> we're very pleasantly surprised, but also uh, really struggling to deal <laughs> with, the, with the results so far. Um, we're playing a little bit of catch up at the moment and we've got to speed up that. Uh, harvesting solution of course um but uh yeah it, it was a it, it's a good surprise to have to realize we're doing i guess such a good job <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good to me it, it does and and also if you can for a thousand dollars run something through at 600 liters where the the super expensive seventy thousand dollar one only does 750 liters i think that's a, a great testament to being innovative, being creative, putting things together and, and making it work, which is is awesome to hear as well. So well done. With what you're doing, and I know there's some things you can talk about and some things you can't, but the the encapsulation process and, and making that, like it's different to what other people are doing. And as you said, people are sort of responding to the dried version that you're creating, even though it's differently done and, and obviously it tastes better but because probably they're familiar with it. So when you're thinking about bringing something along that's really quite different, like it it still obviously has excellent properties and even better properties perhaps than any other alternative, but it looks different, it tastes different because it tastes better, but you would use it in different ways. What have you sort of learned, I guess, in terms of how how people respond to like let's say the gel version or the the wet version of your product and and how have you gone about learning that? How have you gone about getting that sort of feedback? Yeah, so we haven't done it to the extent that we would want to yet because we are in the process of building our own commercial kitchen at the moment. But we have been to a lot of tech shows and food shows and stuff. We went to, we were at Regional Flavors, for instance, in South Bank, um, the one in Sweden, and just 
handing it out to people and seeing what they think. I think in general, so the thing is, a lot of people haven't heard of spirulina at all at the moment. So they don't really have an expectation one way or the other. So as long as it doesn't taste terrible, they're happy with it. Um, then there are the people that have tried spirulina and hated it. So just the fact that it doesn't taste bad wins them over. But then the funniest category to me is uh, the third category. They're generally super into health food. And they kind of like the fact that it tastes bad because that makes them feel like they're doing something good for themselves. They want it to taste like they're eating grass because that makes it feel, that makes their brain think that it's healthy. But generally with those people, um, we can win them over with the higher quality ingredients and how it's grown and all of that because they are tend to be very aware uh, of that aspect of it. So uh, like I said, we've talked with a couple of hundred people at this point, and there have been different iterations of our product. Uh, it was funny in Sweden, it was a lot easier to get people to eat algae. In general, people are much more into sustainability and that sort of thing. So they all just, just wanted to eat it. Sometimes in Australia, you have to um, convince people a little bit more. But generally, we have gotten very positive feedback from it. And I think there's so many health foods out there that claims stuff that just aren't proven health benefits that just have not there's no evidence for it um or you know so people are skeptical they don't really want to to trust these sort of products but there's so many studies there's and then just stuff like the mineral content or the protein content is not debatable like that is what it is so I found in general, we have gotten really positive feedback and people are quite open and interested because health and especially I think um, trying to manage your health through your diet is such a big thing at the moment. So there's a lot of people looking for products that can help them do that in a way where it doesn't feel like a chore. So yeah, we people are quite excited in all the different shapes we have shown our spirulina we have gotten mostly good feedback and people being curious about it because again the benefits stay the same throughout each one so it's great to hear that you've gone along to things like the the food fairs and those types of events where you're actually able to see people, look them in the eye, let them sample something, see their facial reaction as well as their verbal reaction, their thoughts and have a chat with them a little about their background, you know, whether they do eat it or not. I think that's a really uh, great way of getting feedback is that live in the moment uh, opportunity as opposed to just surveys or conversations where people don't get to try it. So well done. You've come a long way already and I know that it probably feels like you've got such a long way to go as well but you have really come a long way. I'm keen to know what moments have happened that you're particularly proud of? So for me it's the pond actually having that running having it running well um, figuring out because like Adrian said before a lot of that we have to figure out on our own it's a lot of trial and just testing and that I think that pond is that's my my biggest achievements what I'm really proud of. And what about yourself, Adrian? Proudest moment? Um, I would have to say so, sometime this year, during the all the COVID fiasco, um, 
there was a moment when I realized we'd changed in a pretty big way. Um, like iLab was really good for us and it, it taught us a lot. Um, but during that process, we, we also got into a habit where we looked outside of ourselves and our team for answers to really complex problems that we were facing. And at some point this year, we started looking internally and started producing those answers ourselves. And that was a really great feeling. Well done. I think recognising that, that, you know what, we do know these things. We don't have to ask. If it's a challenging question, we can think on it and come up with an answer. I think that's definitely something to be proud of. So well done. Now, you are part of the Flare Incubator and we're super happy that you applied and very excited to see where you're going with it. And I know that there's a lot of things that you're working on and you mentioned the commercial kitchen before, but maybe if you can just share a little bit about what those next steps are, what your goals are for Ocean Orchards, for Spirulina in the market, whatever it might be, for yourselves even, what's that next thing on your horizon? What are you aiming for uh, at this point? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we're trying to put up a commercial kitchen slash lab and getting that up is going to be so crucial because we will be able to produce the product and it will all be food grade and food safe and we can start to really give it out to people, get feedback, do the last little iterations that need to be done and then actually start to commercially sell it. Um, so the kitchen is the biggest thing right now is what we're really, really working on. We're hoping to get it up before Christmas, but things really slow down pretty soon. So, you know, fingers crossed. Um, for our long-term more goal, we want to, Spirulina is just the first algae. We want to have like a lot of different types with all their own health benefits, different products to suit people, depending on what their health needs are or how they like to eat their products. And just doing that by finding new innovative ways we can process algae and actually work with the uh, natural qualities of the algae instead of against it like they're currently doing. That sounds like a good goal to have. I think if we can keep things in as close to their natural state as nature produces them, I think that's usually a good place to go. People out there will be listening and they probably go, I've just learned a whole lot about uh, algae that I didn't know and about spirulina and the fact that spirulina can actually taste good, even if you knew it was already good for you. Or maybe you're going, hmm, I'm going to go Google spirulina and learn a little bit more about it. But if people want to learn that from uh, from yourselves, uh, where, where can they find you? So we have uh, Instagram and we have Facebook as well and a website. So... Our handles on both Instagram and Facebook is just Ocean Orchards, as one word, and our website is oceanorchards.com. Fantastic. So they can go and find you there, reach out, check out some photos and, and read a little bit more information. Now, I imagine there's people in your world who are probably on a somewhat similar journey to you, although maybe not as complex a problem to be solved and solution to create. But if someone was to come along to you and say, hey, guys, you know, I've got this idea. I see that you're starting something new and I've got this idea and I think I want to, you know, launch it and start this business. What should I do first? What would you tell them? I would tell them to uh, surround themselves 
by really good people. Uh, whether that means like it did for us to apply for an accelerator or an incubator, or maybe you can just find mentors in your own network, but to get people around you who have already done not necessarily the exact same thing, but something similar, in particular people who have strengths you don't, and get their help on the way. Because as I said before, iLab was so crucial for us because we didn't know that stuff. And sure, we probably could have made it work otherwise, but it would have been a lot slower and a lot more painful. That would be my biggest advice. Make sure you have a lot of mentors and just good friends around you that you can ask. I think having those people in your life, whether they're advisors, technical, and, and can help you there, or they're just uh, going to pick you up when you fall down and just can't pick yourself up again anymore, it's good to have that that supportive network. Anything different for yourself, Adrian? Would you would you do anything different or tell anyone something else? Yeah, I would advise people to pick the right accelerators and things for you so iLab was great and they taught us a lot um, but they're very much software focused um, they, they they do expand and they, they do handle other things but being in a food space would have been a lot more beneficial for us I think um, and the other thing is trust with your co-founders is so important me and Anna joke a lot of the time now that um, starting a company together is way, way more serious than getting married. Um, so you, you've really got to have trust for the people that you go into business with. Yeah, it's easier to get divorced than it is to try and break up a company. So we we won't uh, we won't ask you anything further about marriage, but I will say I know uh, earlier on you mentioned just about the blue, and I'm just going to go back to that because I think someone listening might be going. They said it was blue, but spirulina is green. Like everything I see is green. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about the blue and where that comes into play? Because obviously if people are looking on your website, they'll see that your logo is blue and, and the other things that are blue. So maybe just explain that a bit. Yeah, so spirulina is green. It has chlorophyll, but it actually has a very blue undertone to it because they're a blue pigment. If you look at other species of microalgae, that becomes really evident because they're more greeny, uh, browny sort of color as opposed to the blue-green. So spirulina has a blue pigment. It's a type of protein, and it's called phycocyanin. It's only found in that sort of family of algae. And if, as you, if you think of all the foods you eat normally, there is actually no blue foods. So this is the only way you can get the blue pigment. And it has, as I mentioned before, a lot of really good um, qualities to it. If you, there are studies on this, you can look it up yourself if you want to. And especially around anti-inflammatory properties. So both in terms of reducing pain for people who struggle with inflammation, but also a lot for athletes and helping them perform better and recover faster. And that's why the Aztecs did it, because they obviously were pretty clever on all of those things and had worked that out themselves, maybe without the technologies that we have to be able to work it out now. <laughs> but uh, but that's a, a great thing to know. And yeah, it's interesting when you go, oh, blue, surely we eat something blue, but no, I can't think of 
anything. I mean, there's a few purple things, but yeah, not not anything that's actually blue. But yet we've got nearly all the other colours. So um, interesting. Very good. Other than finding you on Facebook and social media and things like that, people might want to learn a little bit more and maybe connect with you so they can find you through those channels. But they may also want to see how could they possibly help? Maybe they're into sustainability or environment or uh, something like that. And they might go, I really like what you're doing. I'd love to be able to help. How could somebody help you at the stage of the journey that you're at at the moment? So one big thing, obviously, like I said, when we have the kitchen up is we do need people to test our product and give us feedback and that sort of thing. And there is, you can both just DM us on Facebook or Instagram. That's fine. There's also a mailing list on our website if you want to, as well as a contact form if you want to get to us that way. Um, and you can also hello at oceanorchard.com as well. It's a perfect good way of contacting us. Uh, we have also been looking at some social media interns. So if anyone is listening to this who are into um, social media and marketing and think that we sound like our values and what we do sounds interesting to them they can also reach out to us again in the ways I mentioned before and I think that's a, a great thing if you can help share the message and create more content uh, to get the I guess it is the the fact that this is existing it's known but you're creating something new with it I think that's so exciting and sharing that through social media so people become aware of it so when it becomes a little bit more mainstream that they know that this is this is an option to take up if you want to eat something that's good for you that doesn't taste like grass so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good exactly. thing all right. Well, was there anything else that you wanted to share today? Anything that we maybe have uh, not covered? I'm good. You, Adrian? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Well, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I've loved hearing a little bit more depth in your story and particularly how you met. I don't know that I'd actually known <laughs> that beforehand. So so that's awesome. And I'm going to go and check out uh, the Tim Flannery uh, video as well and, and learn a little bit more about how seaweed can save the world because I know that you're definitely on that journey and I'm sure you will succeed. So thank you very much for your time. Anyone who's listening, go check out oceanorchards.com to find them on the socials and otherwise keep an eye out for a better tasting spirulina coming soon. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas Into Reality episode. And we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and let your friends know too. They might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites, canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey and I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode. Mm-hmm.